Welcome to Bird Brush. It is season three training camp preview. Hard to believe we started this back in 2015. Uh, seen a lot of ups, seen a lot of downs, but we are back ready to kick off a good 2017. We got a lot going on. So we had to bring you guys a show. Um, I got my man AB uh, and my man Trent here. So got some topics we're going to hit. Training camp starts this week. Um, so guys, uh, how's everything going? Man, everything is going great. Uh, excited about these Dirty Birds. 2017 is going to be a great year uh, after uh, how last year ended, you know, both good and positive. I think it's going to be um, uh, an exciting year this year, and I'm happy to be back on with you guys. Yeah, I mean, of course, I feel the same way. I feel like it's been a while since uh, since the Bird Bros have been in action, so <laughs> it's good to, <laughs> to be back and hopefully um, – Gain more listeners. I know we have some <laughs> some, <laughs> some naysayers, right? Yeah, I won't call them haters, <laughs> but uh, we have some some listeners that are hurt. So, <laughs> and of course, uh, Ron Brown is not here tonight. He uh, couldn't make the broadcast, so I'm trying to sit in his super producer seat. But Ron will be back with us throughout the course of the season. Um, yeah, we, you know, it, there are there were some comments out there that we were made of today, and. I mean, at the end of the day, man, we're here. <laughs> we're just here to have fun with the whole thing. But uh, and we'll get into this as we get towards the end of the show. But man, you know, we love the feedback. We love any ideas that people have, whether it be Falcons fans, whether it be um, from the bottom rung of the NFC South or whatever. But man, we're just here to to have a good time. So uh, you know, let's get started. Um, so we got to go ahead and cover the elephant in the room. It's six months later, almost. Uh, but we got to talk about the Super Bowl. Um, you know, from my standpoint, you know, every once in a while it comes across Sports Talk Radio and I got to turn the dial. Uh, <laughs> but I'll let, uh, let A.B. and Trent just uh, – so A.B. start us off. Just talk real – you know, give us some uh, – how you feeling six months after what we saw in the Super Bowl? Oh, man. Um, I feel like I'm one of the few uh, Falcons fans who actually um... – I won't say I'm over it. I don't think you can ever be over it, but I think I've come to a, a, a happy medium with it where I've kind of acknowledged that it did happen. It wasn't just a horrible nightmare um, <laughs> and that I'm ready to, to move on uh, into 2017. I mean, I think if you go back in the game, you can obviously second guess the play calling. I think everybody agrees, uh, even Dan Quinn and Matt Ryan now, that we should have run the ball more. We should have run more clock. But it is what it is. We lost the game um, in epic uh, Falcons fashion. So, um, I mean, it, it is what it is. We got to move on. Uh, we have an exciting young team. I think a team that can, again, contend to win the NFC and go back to the Super Bowl this year up in Minnesota. So um, I'm kind of over it personally. Um, I mean, I, I hear the, the talk just like you do, AD, but I'm ready to move on and, and ready for 2017. You know what? Surprisingly, I'm over it as well. I mean, I have those every now and then. I have to be snatched back in whenever I see a 28-3 joke on Twitter or whatever. But <laughs> for the most part, um, I'm over it. And surprisingly, I feel like the majority of Falcons fans and even the majority of players, I'm, I mean, being based out of Charlotte, I, experience, I feel like I've experienced that type of um, loss two years in a row when I saw – um, most P Panthers fans that, I mean, all throughout the offseason, it was, I mean, they, I don't think they were able to let go of it. So I think it's, it's very different how the Falcons players and even the fans 
have taken it. I feel like the um, we've definitely moved on. And also just um, I think what was also beneficial is seeing that the first game is against the Chicago Bears and not the New England Patriots. <laughs> I think that's an easier way to get over it as well. Yeah, I don't disagree. And, um, you know, it, it, you know, it is what it is. Um, I don't feel that bad about it in the sense of I don't care what anybody else really has to say about it. I don't like hearing it around here. But, I mean, it is what it is. But I think I will give the team, I think, and um, especially Coach Quinn some credit in that I feel like they have moved on. I know you guys mentioned that. Um, but, you know, it's pretty impressive the way they've talked about it. You know, my understanding is that they all kind of got in the room uh, from a coaching staff standpoint, aired the, you know, aired the dirty laundry. Or they got it all out and they're on to, to 2017. So I give them credit for, for doing that. So, um, you know, moving on, next subject. Um, let's talk about the current roster, how it's constructed. Um, I know, um, Trent, you had some some strong thoughts on this, you know, especially with, you know, Obviously, this is clearly now a Dan Quinn team, top to bottom, um, working in conjunction with Thomas Dimitrov. So talk to us a little bit about that, Trent. Oh, yes. I um, actually believe – like I was looking at the depth chart earlier and just looking at – like this looks like Dan Quinn has has his imprint on not just the team but actually selecting the roster selection as well. You look at um, – I look, I look at all those guys um, that we have the uh, rotate around out of, out of the front four. And this reminds me of those um, Seattle Seahawks defenses he had, where he had a number of pass rushers on the front, on the, uh, on the front end. And then on the back end, he had, um, he had your big, big corners as well. And he also had um, your shutdown corner. So I, I, I think Dan uh, Quinn definitely has an imprint on this actual roster. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you. I think this is definitely his team. I mean, entering his third year, you know, we looked at last year, you know, could Dan Quinn, could he prove that he could coach? You know, was he, were we really going to see returns on some of these drafts? You look at the last couple of drafts, you've got nothing but starters really the last, last several years. I mean, if you go back as far as 2015, you got Vic, you got um, Grady Jarrett, you know, you, you fast forward to 2016, you look at Keanu, you look at Deion Jones. Devondre, you know, Wes Schweitzer, who's probably going to win the uh, right guard battle. He was drafted, you know, late in that 2016 draft, Austin Hooper. And now you look at this year, you know, and again, you got a lot of guys who are going to compete. Tack uh, McKinley, you know, the defensive end at UCLA, he's probably going to be starting once his shoulder is completely healed. There's been a lot of talk about Duke Riley um, and, a, and a lot of other guys who are very intriguing coming into this camp. So, if you look at this overall team, look at the overall depth, you see what, you know, a lot of the sports analysts throughout football are giving the Falcons a lot of respect as far as the secondary being one of the top secondaries in football, the offensive line being one of the best in football. We got the MVP at quarterback. You got one of the best wide receiver tandems in football. You got maybe the best running back duo in football. Um, and to go back to what you were saying as far as the depth on the defensive end, I mean, defensive line, it's probably the most impressive that we've had, especially when you look at some of the guys we picked up, like um, like a Don Terry Poe, you know, free agent uh, from Kansas City. He's going to be one of those guys, him and Grady Jarrett, they're going to cause havoc in the middle of the line. So this is a line, this is a team that has a lot of the depth and the speed. You know, we, we mock Dan Quinn for saying fast and physical, fast and physical, but this is what the team is now. Uh, and he has a team that really matches his identity. So 
um, excited about what this roster is going to look like. I think this is probably the best roster in football uh, from top to bottom. Interesting, interesting. And, and I definitely agree. Have we heard a uh, – has he come out with a slogan for this year? It was fast and physical last year. I haven't heard anything for this year just uh, yet. But... Embrace the suck. Uh, yeah, I hope, I hope that's not for long. I hope that's for the preseason. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping that was like a mini camp thing and that wasn't going to go into the Thursday, but uh, we shall see. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a bad one. That, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. but I mean, it, it goes back to kind of what, what we were just talking about as far as the team being able to move on, but, you know, still, hey, you guys got to wake up to the fact that you did lose and you got to get better, so. I mean, that's kind of what Dan Quinn is all about, that relentless enthusiasm, that competition, you know, that that whole thing that's kind of part of his his whole aura. So you can see it translating into as big of a defeat as the Super Bowl was, still managing to bring that into a brand new season with the uh, embrace the suck slogan. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, too, as I sit here and think about it, you know, if you go back to at least in our kind of general lifetime teams we've had, you go back to 98 with the Super Bowl, you know, if I'm kind of – and hindsight's 2020, but if you go to the next season, I mean, they started off drafting a tight end, Reggie, whether it was Reggie Kelly, mm-hmm. late in the first round, which they thought they were just going to go double tight end and run the ball down to everybody's throat. But at the same time, they weren't getting better on defense. They had holes on the offense. I think anybody could see that. They didn't have – you know, it was very much – that 98 season just kind of happened. I hate to say it, but it, it just kind of did. They kind of caught um, lightning in a bottle. Um, and then you really go and look at all of the, the Michael Vick era. Um, and, again, we were kind of held up by Michael Vick, Ward Dunn, the running game, and those types of things. But we all knew we had holes out, you know, um, at wide receiver. We weren't really that dynamic downfield. Defense, again, okay, but, again, not great. Um, whereas you look at what we have now, you got a Matt Ryan in his prime, Julio, two very good running backs, and then defensively they're putting, you know, pieces in place that, you know, could, t- could potentially be, um, I don't say complete superstars across the board, but relative to what you're talking about from a team, um, pretty strong. So the outlook to me is different, Maybe that, and maybe that's why I'm not as down as I, I could be about the Super Bowl, but um, – Right now, they've done a hell of a job pulling this thing together. Yeah, and you know what? I actually, I don't know why this. I'm just now thinking about this, but I think the outlook is also um, better because Dan Quinn has now been a part of two, um, I guess, terrible decisions made in the uh, Super Bowl. Like, I mean, you go back to that Seattle Seahawks pass on the one yard line, and he was able to, I think. Because the main, I guess the main question floating around this Falcons team is how do you respond from a defeat like like that? And I think with Dan Quinn already having already experienced something like that and been able to um, have his well at that point he was a defensive coordinator, so have at least one side of the ball actually respond and get past it. I think that will be beneficial for this team as well. Like I mean, because he has been a part of that. Where all right. That's what the pass is behind us. Let's move. Let's move ahead now. And I think that's a great point, Trent. I think the one thing I would hope for for Quinn, um, you know, and this was one, you know, last year when we did the show, you know, we kind of had our training camp preview. I was probably, I feel like maybe one of the more critical ones of Dan Quinn's ability as a coach. I know we talked a lot about 
um, some of the things that he was doing in that San Francisco game, you know, in his first season where he was too passive, you know, and then you kind of look at how that manifests coming into this season and you know, last season and going into the Super Bowl and what happened with some of the decisions that were made and weren't made that ended up losing us the game. It'll be interesting to see, you know, based on his experience as a coordinator and now having lost, you know, one of the, the worst Super Bowl losses ever, um, is he able to use those experiences and move past it and actually be able to coach to the level that I think we think that he is? I think he has proven uh, he's a great uh, – he's a charismatic leader. Uh, the guys rally around him. The brotherhood, the brothership, I mean, those things – I mean, those are – you could feel it, you know, out in the street. People really, you know, buy into it. So the guys love him. They love playing for him. But as an X's and O's, as a coach – is he able to learn from what he experienced both as a coordinator and as a head coach last year and become the kind of coach that I think we know he's capable of being? Cool. So, you know, kind of transitioning, but staying on the same topic at the same time. Um, let's talk training camp battles since we're talking roster. Um, I know we've been talking a lot offline about key battles. And um, so, A.B., can you know, give us what you're looking at um, as far as a key battle going into training camp this year? Oh, man, there's so many uh, There's so many great battles. I think the fun thing this year, too, is because of the fact there's so much depth, um, the battles are enhanced. You know, this isn't, you know, retreads going after it for a key spot on the, on the roster. These are the few spots that are open. These are some either young guys getting after it against the vet or these are some two up-and-coming young guys who are really going to give it a great show. I think uh, probably the one that everybody has has circled is the battle for right guard. It's Wes Schweitzer versus Ben Garland versus the rookie Sean Harlow. Um, Schweitzer didn't play a snap last year. You know, again, he was drafted uh, in that class 2016, um, did not play a snap. But the guys and the coaches really seem to think that he's probably the favorite coming into camp. So I think that's going to definitely be one to keep an eye on. Ben Garland. Um, you know, very versatile, um, probably not as high a ceiling as Schweitzer has, but Ben Garland can play a lot of different positions. Uh, he played some backup center for us uh, last year, played guard, even played some defensive tackle. So I think he's a guy who, if he does not win the battle, you'll still see him play a lot this year. Um, so I think that probably would be the, the main battle. Sean Harlow, even though he's the rookie, I'm not sure if he's going to really get a shot to win this battle unless he just really is just dominant. Um, so that would be probably the key one I think that everybody uh, is looking at. Trump. Um, I'm looking at the nickel, that nickel corner position because, I mean, I guess we also have to throw in there what are we going to do with Jalen Collins or I know, A.V., you, um, you're supporting that um, Alfred goes to the nickel. Um, yes, yes. Bandwagon. Yes. I don't know if anybody joined that bandwagon yet, but you're. Oh, I'm at least yes. two people on there at least. Yes, <laughs> I will drive the bandwagon on that. I think I think he'd be great, uh, great at the role. I really do. But I do think, well, right as of now, I think he's going to be that number two. So right now, I think that nickel is between um, Brian Poole and the rookie Demonte Kazi, um, which. I don't know if the rookie will will get the position from the at the beginning of the season, but I I do think he he may be able to to steal that position um, midway through the season or even at the end of the season because that rookie is definitely a ball hawk, which is what Dan Quinn loves. Of course, he loves the. Uh, I think he has tremendous playmaking ability, which 
Brian Poole, I think a lot like Poole was used more for, I think he was best at um, pressuring the quarterback off the, uh, with the cornerback blitzes and that type of thing and that type of package. So while I do believe, while I do believe that it it doesn't matter who actually wins the position because everyone will get their fair share of time. I am looking to see what goes on with that nickel um, position. Like you said, if, if Rocky gets it, gets it, or if the rookie, or if we're going to keep Brian Poole in that um, position. I mean, I definitely think, you know, if you, if you put, uh, if you put Rocky, uh, Robert Alford, if you put him, you know, in that nickel position, I think you, you have a secondary, you know, that's already been talked about as maybe one of the top two or three in football. If you put him on the inside, you got a guy who he's, he's as athletic as anybody, uh, when it comes to the slot. And he's a guy who's as fast. He's got great hands. And we saw what he did in the Super Bowl. If he gets his hands on the ball, he's going to make a play. I think he's a guy, if he gets moved into that position, is definitely going to be an impact player. But the other part of that, too, you know, sometimes with with, uh, with his technique, you know, he gets caught where he has his hands on receivers down the field or he gets caught, you know, doing the wrong thing that might lead to a pass interference call. That's been – I think Falcons fans, and I know for us, has been a huge source of frustration with his game. If you have him in the slot, there's less chance as far as a long developing play for, you know, something to go to go wrong downfield. If something happens, okay, five, ten yards, maybe he has his hands on somebody, you know, you get called there for a spot foul. Um, you're not looking at a pass interference 40 yards down the field or something in the end zone where he gets put on the, you know, the, the, the one-yard line or goal to go, you know. So I think if you were to put him in that position, I think he could definitely be successful. Uh, Jalen Collins and True, uh, True Font returning back, you know, to the outside. I think that gives you the two kind of corners that Dan Quinn likes him and Mark, you know, Marquand Manuel, the new defensive coordinator. They want long, rangy, you know, cornerbacks, just like they had up in Seattle. So uh, I think that you know he's one of those guys, you know, Robert Alford is that you can move him around and really see where he where he fits in best. Uh, and and like you also said, Trent, uh, the kid Kazee. I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, but <laughs> I think I think he's got a chance to really be um, a really special player. I mean, there's been I've seen different um, different you know projections of him either competing against even Ricardo Allen, you know, for that uh, free safety starting mm-hmm. position, in addition to you know possibly taking a nickel spot. So you know, I, I think he may end up having or being one of the most impactful rookie Falcons this year uh, as a fifth round pick, you know, out of San Jose State. So. It'll be interesting to see kind of where he ends up and kind of playing time he gets this preseason. See, my issue, my issue wouldn't be with Rocky. It would be with honestly Jalen Collins. Just, I mean, while I while I feel I've forgotten, I mean, I've gotten over the Super Bowl loss. I still, I still have dreams of Tom Brady picking on Jalen Collins, play after play after play after play. So that's my, I guess where I would be worried. I don't feel that while Jalen Collins has made tremendous strides, I think he's still, um, I don't think he's to a point where I trust him. I, I mean, you all may have a different um, level of trust within him, but I'm still scared on him being our uh, second corner. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not, Oh, uh, here we go with the Super Bowl again. <laughs> you can't leave it alone, huh? You can't. No, I can't. You know, and and we've talked about this before, but I'm gonna just—I'll just be honest. I blame. I mean, it's not even about blame, but 
I'm going to give the defense a pass on that fourth quarter in the sense of they had run the football. They shouldn't have been in that position. Those guys were dead-ass tired. Um, and so I'm not as down on Collins, um, even though I see where you're coming from. Same thing with Alfred. I mean, those guys were huffing and puffing out there. And I, I will – I do want to officially make this my apology to uh, Alfred. I've said a lot of bad things. <laughs> oh, wow, wow. Uh, Radio um, World. I, Listen, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Radio World. <laughs> Please have your tape recorders out. This is prime time. I, no, I think right AV, you were the only one that was for him. Everybody, all of everybody else was bashing him. I think AV, you were the only one that was ride with Rocky. <laughs> yeah, we had some tough I, moments, I, I, but uh, he, he came yeah, through. I, <laughs> I've said things. I've thrown things in my own apartment. I'm sorry, dog. <laughs> you, you held it down, so you know, my bad. My bad. <laughs> Um, anything else from a, a training camp battle? I know, um, even though you would think um, this isn't a battle point, but that third running back um, seems to be some, you know, a lot of talk about who, who's up for that. I would have thought that the rookie coming in um, would have had a had a better shot, but apparently he struggled a little bit in mini camp. So you guys have got any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, we were looking and, I, you know, we're like any other Falcons fans. We look to see what ESPN is saying, Falcoholic, um, some of these other, you know, AJC, um, to see what people really think as far as, you know, people who actually watch and cover the team. Uh, Von McClure of, um, uh, for the Falcons blog on ESPN, uh, he had um, – he didn't have Brian Hill as a guy who was actually going to, to make an impact on his team. I mean, he actually said that, you know, to your point, AB, that he may be somewhat of a bust um, and that there may be an opportunity for, you know, Teron Ward, who has been the third running back and didn't get a ton of carries last year, but he was still third running back. There's a chance that he may not, you know, be the third running back either. So there's going to be some open competition um, there, you know, as far as who's going to end up being um, getting split carries. And, you know, hopefully we don't see a lot of the third running back, um, based on how Devontae and Tevin are doing. But there's a chance that, you know, that, that position is a lot more open than I think a lot of us thought uh, when we drafted Brian Hill. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that position battle. The other one I think that I'm very interested in that I don't know if we're talking about enough is the defensive end. Um, I think, you know, with the fact that Tack McKinley, you know, he's still coming back from his shoulder, uh, off-season shoulder surgery. You know, he's not going to see action probably until that, you know, that – that rehearsal game, you know, third preseason game, you know, we're not going to really see him. And I think that's, that is the Arizona game. I believe the first game at MBS, um, we're probably not going to see him until that game. Um, so from there, you got Adrian Claiborne coming off uh, his injury, uh, Derek Shelby, you know, also coming off an Achilles injury. Um, and then, you know, we kind of got, you know, Dwight Freeney still kind of floating out there. There's been a lot of talk again with him recently, if he's coming back. So, you know, he could, again, be someone maybe not starting, but if Dwight Freeney comes back, that pushes somebody else off the team. So I think who's going to start on that opposite end of Vic is going to be very key, very interesting to see who starts there week one. What do you think? I I agree. The main – I won't say the main position, but the main unit I'm – looking at is um is the d-line i alluded to that earlier saying that we have a pretty uh, good rotation at the d-line um at that uh at that element 
So I'm looking to see who um, who steps up because also we have a new defensive line coach and Brian Young, Brian Young. So honestly, it's more of who shows up is who's going to get the time. So I look at what Rasheed Hageman can do and if he can challenge um, Brady Garrett because although Brady Garrett had a breakout game in the, in the Super Bowl, I don't think he was head and shoulders above everyone throughout the entire season. So it's not just like he's, he shows up and get that position. I think Rasheed Hageman has done more than enough to um, to throw his uh, his name in the hat. And also we have um, Derek Shelby and Courtney Upshaw. Also, um, I guess, we, like you said, we won't see Tack until preseason. But, I mean, if he gives us half of what he uh, gave in that uh, – NFL draft interview, then I'm I'm, I'm happy. So yeah, find, definitely. Find me later. We all got to work on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that Oakland Bay Area accent. We all got. Hey, he said he's Marshawn Lynch. He said he's from that. Him and Marshawn Lynch are from the same uh, pipeline. Yeah, he certainly showed it in that. Uh, he certainly showed it in that interview. I I, I couldn't believe that was kind of how he was he was carrying on. But hey, if he comes out and balls out, then. More power to him. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so while we're on the subject, let's talk rookies. And obviously, Tack is, uh, you know, the first pick. Um, so let's talk a little bit about him, and we'll talk about some of the others. But knowing that, you know, as it stands right now, like Amy said, that he's slated to get his first real game action, third preseason game, first game in MBS. So, you know, based off of that, um, he is not, you know, he's going to, you know, he should be ready to go game one. So over under sacks, sacks for tack over under, I'll set the line at eight. So we'll go on the record now. Uh, I'm going to go under. Um, I, I think defensive end in the NFL is one of the hardest positions, you know, for a young guy to get. Uh, I do think with the coaching that will be around the team, and hopefully Dwight Freeney is back to kind of give that player coach perspective too, like he gave to Vic last year. But I think that's going to be a really tough position, especially him coming off of uh, pretty serious surgery. And you got to remember too, he didn't really get into mini camp until late because he still had, he was on a quarter system at UCLA. So he wasn't really a part of mini camp. Um, he missed some time with that. So he's a little bit behind the eight ball as far as getting up to speed with where I think we all want him to be. Um, I don't really think, to be honest with you, I don't really think we're going to see Tech be an impact player until late in the year, like after the bye week type. Well, later than that, since the bye is early this year, but um, for week five. But I, I don't think he's going to give us the type of impact we expect this year. So I would probably go under on that. Um, I w I'm going under also, but I'm, I guess just because I feel like Dan Q, uh, DQ has a continuous rotation anyway, so that's mm -hmm. implemented into the defense. So I don't think – and, of course, with Tech coming off an injury, I don't think that D, DQ will throw him into the fire and he will have so many – enough reps to to get eight. But at the same time, I mean, outside of uh, Vic Beasley last year, I think the second leader in sack was what, maybe four sacks, four and a half sacks. Um, wasn't it Freeney? Was it Freeney last year who was second on the team, I think? I believe so. I think so. Yeah, I think so. So, honestly, I don't think eight is necessary. Now, if he gets eight, that's wonderful. But if he gets five or six, I think that's that would be a, a effective rookie year for him. 
So the the next rookie um, we got to talk about is obviously Duke Riley. There's a lot of young little, money. Yeah, Lil yeah. Wayne. Lil young Wayne. money, cash money. <laughs> young money, cash money. First round. Uh, <laughs> please, please pay me my money, baby. Um, so, you know, where does he? You know, people are pretty high on him, um, and I'm not. You know, he went what second round, so. Um, I don't think that's a barrier. Those guys are expected to play as is anyway. People are pretty high on him. Where do you guys see him fitting? We we know what position he's going to play and those types of things, but um, I'm excited just because I think he can make that front seven more dynamic from a cover standpoint. Um, so what are your guys' thoughts on that? I mean, I think uh, I think Duke has a chance to really be, you know, a huge impact guy um, in his rookie season. You know, we talk about a lot of the other position battles, but I think the position battle that we didn't talk about is going to be um, at linebacker between him and Kamal Ishmael, who moved from safety to linebacker this offseason. So I think that's going to be a position that you could definitely look at and see that um, he's going to be able to really make an impact. The guy's got great speed, um, kind of a late bloomer at LSU, um, sort of like Deion Jones we played with down there. You know, he only started his senior year, but – he still was able to have a great impact once he got on the field and was playing three downs um, of football. I think you're gonna, he's going to be a guy who's going to play four downs. I think he's going to have to make his mark on special teams as well. But I think, uh, I think he'll be starting sooner than later. He may not start week one, but I think he's definitely going to be a guy who gets in there um, and really has a huge impact um, from a speed perspective, especially. I mean, I think didn't he run like a four-three, four-four? Something at the uh, at the combine. I mean, the guy's got speed for days, so I think he'll definitely uh, he'll have a huge impact on the team if they get him out there. Yeah, um, I think uh, speed is his strength. I, what I am worried about with him, of course, is um, reading offensive linemen and being able to make a play. I think that was one. While Deion Jones, he had a, a lot of impact plays, which I think most of them came in the coverage. Deion Jones was a sure tackler and he would he always was around the ball. So I'm iffy on if Duke Riley can do that. I think his strength is coverage and speed. Also, um I think most people are high on him because of Deion Jones, which I don't think that is beneficial to him. I think like Deion Jones came in with I won't say no pressure at all, but the pressure it uh, it was very low. So compared to Duke Riley, it wasn't as much pressure on Deion Jones as, as Riley. So Deion Jones was able to come in and blossom. With Duke Riley, it will be a more pressured um, situation. However, I do feel like he will end up um, starting because, again, that speed is something that you can't coach. And that's one thing that uh, Dan Quinn, um, of course, emphasizes is speed. I, I would say one thing, though. I do think the fact that he played with Deion Jones um, at LSU, the guys have a great camaraderie um, with each other. And then, I mean, they're both playing the same same position. They won't both be the mic. I mean, Deion's going to be the mic. Um, I believe isn't um, he uh, – Duke should be, what, the, the weak side? Yeah, weak side. Yeah, so, you know, with, with him being, yeah. being able to play next to the guy he played with in college and, and kind of going through some of the same types of experience with them both only starting a year – at LSU, I do think that that can help just by proxy. I mean, I think we saw Dion really kind of turn it up the second part of the year. You know, I think him and, you know, Keanu and Devondre, the first part of the year, they were still just trying to understand where they need to even be lined up at. 
So I think looking at them this year and projecting, I think he's going to be able to really help accelerate Duke's, um, you know, his transition into the league. So hopefully he's a lot further along earlier into the season than it, it took Dion and the rest of the rookies last year to get into it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that just to kind of wrap up the segment, but I think the other key thing about this is, you know, the impact that any of these rookies, you know, you talk about Duke on special teams. Um, we just got more speed on the team. You know, it's kind of hard to believe that they added more, but, you know, if you think about it, essentially, you know, at a minimum, Duke Riley is going to replace what Paul Warlow on special teams, uh, which, you know, no disrespect to Warlow, but that from a, just from a purely from a speed standpoint, that's an upgrade. Um, so to your, to your point earlier, you know, it, it, there is the fourth down, there is the special teams aspect of it, which, you know, I got to think will be improved in this year. All right. All right, so we're going to uh, give A.B. the floor here for a quick NFC South update. And we'll just be honest, at this point of the year, this is all slander. Um, <laughs> this, this isn't a 53-man breakdown of that stinky-ass team in New Orleans and all of that stuff. So, A.B., what do you got for us? Oh, man. Um, you know, this is probably one of my favorite segments Uh that we do. I mean, this one's a little bit different. You know, for those of you guys who've been out there listening, uh, thank you for listening. But, you know, you guys know that we've had the X amount of reasons why the Saints suck. That will be returning. So do not fret. Um, tonight's show is not going to include that, but it will just kind of give, again, like AD said, a little bit more of an overall feel of what's going on in the division. Um, there's a lot going on in the, in the division. Um, NFC South got better over the course of last uh, offseason. So I think as a Falcons fan, we all have to appreciate that. You know, this isn't going to be a cakewalk this year. Um, I still think the Falcons are, are head and shoulders above everyone else in the division, but I think it's definitely a lot closer uh, than it was to end last year. Uh, we'll start with the team in Tampa. Uh, I think the team that, at least from my perspective, is probably the team most poised to challenge us this year and probably compete for a playoff spot. Uh, Jameis Winston coming into his third season. They got some huge additions on the offense um, with adding Deshaun Jackson and wide receiver, uh, drafting tight end O.J. Howard out of Alabama. Um, I think people down there in Tampa are very excited. You know, of course, we know the, the coaching staff down there pretty well. Dirk Cutter, former offensive coordinator here, is the head coach. So, you know, they're going to put up a lot of points. They're going to put the ball in Jameis Winston's hands. Um, the one thing to look out, though, for them, Doug Martin, four, uh, four game suspension, uh, PEDs, um, you, you know, taking drugs and supplements and things like that. So uh, we'll see how they start off. You know, that's still a pretty young team. Um, they still got some questions on the defensive side of the ball, even though they've got some studs over there with Gerald McCoy. Um, you know, but I think that they'll be an interesting team to watch. But look out for them. Look at how that offense reacts without having their top running back with Doug Martin to start the year. Uh, we go up the street, up near Trent's neck of the woods uh, in Charlotte with uh, Carolina. Uh, the Panthers trying to make it back. Uh, you know, their offseason started kind of interesting um, just based off the fact that, you know, there was surgery for, uh, for Cam Newton for his throwing shoulder. Uh, shoulder. Um, they made some really dramatic um, offensive picks in the first round, getting more speed highlighted with Christian McCaffrey, um, the running back out of Stanford. So we'll see how that impacts their passing game. But if you look at their passing game, you got to look at their wide receiver. And their wide receiver got a lot fatter uh, in the offseason with uh, Calvin yeah. Benjamin 
uh, tipping the scales and looked like it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Maybe uh, like he was hitting right around 300 pounds, some of the pictures I saw. So um, you will definitely keep an eye on that to see if he's got himself back in the, the shape I think most Panthers fans would expect him to be at um, and really play up to the level that, you know, he should be. Uh, you know, he last year coming back off that ACL injury, um, and people forget he wasn't on that Super Bowl team because he was injured before um, that season started. So, you know, a lot of people, when they looked at Carolina last year, thinking him coming back would make that team even more dynamic. It just didn't happen. He just was not on the same page uh, as uh, Cam Newton and, and really wasn't as physical as I think a lot of people think. You look at how big he is, uh, all fat jokes aside, <laughs> you would think that he'd be a much more imposing uh, receiver, but he really was not that. Um, for them last year. So um, it'll be interesting to see how he plays for them this year, you know, how Cam responds to that shoulder surgery. You know, he got banged up a lot. There was a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of cries for help from him, for, you know, in the media and the coaches staff, his coaches getting at it, you know, asking where the ref's going to really protect him. So we'll see how that happens uh, and progresses for the Panthers this year. And then the other news that just dropped about a week ago uh, with them firing um, their, their general manager, David Gettleman, um, and them actually bringing back one of their old general managers, Matt Herney, you know, we'll see how that impacts the, their front office philosophy. Cause I think for as good as we have it here in Atlanta, we have the synergy between Dan Quinn and uh, Thomas Dimitrov and that entire front office. You don't see that, you know, up uh, in Charlotte right now because there's a little bit of uncertainty. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens with them. Uh, and then last uh, and certainly least is the, the team that no one likes. It's the New Orleans uh, Aints, Saints, whatever you want to call them, Stains, uh, the team that I hate more than any team <laughs> in any professional sport, in any sport. Um, our longtime rival uh, down in New Orleans. Um, yeah, they are the consistent seven and niners. Um, they took that, that title uh, the last few years, finishing no better than seven and nine a team perpetually that can't seem to learn how to play defense, uh, still potent offensively. They added um, Adrian Peterson, which I don't know really how that helps that team. Um, but, you know, I think they seem to think that he'll help with ball control in situations, um, you know, late in games. But if you look at the Saints, being able to hold on to the ball has never really been a problem for them. They used Drew Brees in his short passing game to really – kind of control that part of the of their offense and their their scoring. But they got rid of Brandon Cooks. They traded him, um, made some picks in the in the first round to try to get some more cornerbacks and to try to add depth to the secondary. But uh, you know, the Saints I think are still gonna be in a tough position trying to keep up with the rest of the NFC South, which I think got better, while I don't think they really made the moves to get themselves better. So uh, that's just a quick wrap around the NFC South. Again, there will be more um, Saints, uh, Panthers, and Bucks slander as we get deeper into training camp. But that's just a welcome back to the rest of the NFC, uh, the NFC South as we get ready to go into the season. And by welcome back, we mean we're gonna keep our foot on y'all neck. Of course, <laughs> of course, no pleasantries. <laughs> no. All right, last segment. Um, we got a new stadium, guys. Um, Woohoo! You know, yeah, and, and it will be open. Um, didn't get a chance to actually go through the stadium for the first time uh, probably about a month or so ago. And the bottom line is the thing is going to be um, it's phenomenal. And I don't say that loosely. I mean, 
whether it be the Halo board, and I think a lot of people have been getting kind of sneak peeks on social media. Um, the Halo board alone will be, well, I won't say it'll be worth the price of admission, and we'll come back to that. But <laughs> I mean, the <laughs> if you can get in there, yeah, if you can afford it, which we're about to talk about. But the Halo board, um, the sheer size of the stadium, you know, for as, as big as it is, it dwarfs um, the Georgia Dome, but the actual seating bowl of where everybody's going to be. Um, sitting that seems is real intimate, so it's not going to feel like you know super cavernous and you know really a lot like um, the uh, the Mercedes uh, Z class uh, used to be super <laughs> down in New Orleans. You know now the the um, the Kia the Kia Superdome. So um, it, it's going to be great. So for anybody that's listening, um, I didn't get a chance to go down there. Um, they were installing turf today. Um, one of my uh, one of my contacts was there, and I got a phone also that we're installing turf today. Matt Ryan was down there last week, actually determining where the 25 yard uh, or the 25 second clock is going to go to his liking. Um, so it's pretty cool to know that he's actually got that type of involvement. They've got him putting those things where he wants them in the stadium. Um, there was some news today that the the roof will not be functional uh, for the first couple of events that'll be in there. Um, Personal opinion, just from what I know, that's not really that big of a deal. Obviously, you would want that availability. Um, I know for some of the, the games, like the Chick-fil-A kickoff games that will be there um, on Labor Day weekend, it was going to be closed anyway. Uh, so long term, I don't think it's really that big of a deal. They've actually been opening and closing it a lot. I was down there driving by Saturday, um, and it was actually wide open. So I think it's not that it doesn't work. I think it's just for it to work. In a super quick manner, they're not going to be able to do that. And then, of course, you don't want a situation where it gets closed as a quarter of the way, and you know that'll be embarrassing. So um, it, it's not going to affect play. Um, it's just one amenity that we won't have. Um, but trust me, it, it, you, people are going to be blown away. Now, you only be blown away if you can afford to go. And this was something that we batted around a lot um, earlier this week um, about you know access, and I think. Um, I've got an opinion on it, but AB and Trent also have an opinion on it. So I'm going to give Trent first go. You know, talk to us how you feel about, um, and for those who don't know, there's probably not going to be a single game ticket sale available. So if you don't have a PSL, you don't have season tickets um, to the to the stadium as a whole, you're not going to be, you know, right now as it stands, you're not going to be able to walk up and buy single game tickets. Um, that doesn't look like it's going to be feasible at all for this year. So. Trent, um, kind of give us your thoughts about that and just, you know, this kind of new era, you know, for Falcons fans as far as having to pay PSLs. Well, yeah, well, I was going to let A.V. introduce it since he brought it to the, uh, to the, group, um, to the group me. However, um, I, I feel like it's just it's, – it's normal. It's being normalized now in, um, in the NFL. Like, you're coming across these arenas where – not arenas, but stadiums – where these these billion dollar stadiums, where these owners, of course, if the city is paying for it or if the owner is running half of it, these owners are still um, since these they're billion dollar stadiums, so these owners are still at least putting half a billion dollars into it. Therefore, um, of course, the fan is going to feel the effects of that. I mean, I was even looking at the Carolina Panther Stadium, who. Um, they recently had they probably had what three four hundred dollar um, four hundred million dollar renovations in the um, past couple of years, and um, the Panthers also run this PSL system where 
Um, while there are some, for some games, uh, single game tickets are available for the big, however, for the big games, their, their, their um, single game tickets aren't even available. I was looking at their schedule earlier, me being, of course, the Falcons fan, I wanted to go to the Falcons game here. However, um, in order to purchase that that ticket, you have to um, buy an actual package. For example, so they're making you spend more money. Therefore, you have to buy a package to another game. So instead of just going to see it, trying to get a single game ticket, you're um, having to buy multi, um, having to actually buy tickets for multiple games. However, uh, just to go back to the, I guess the the main gist of the uh, point that AD was alluding to. I don't think um, necessarily not having single game ticket avail- uh, tickets available is an issue just because I've been on StubHub and I've seen the, the ticket pricing for, um, for resale tickets, which it's still about, I think just the, the nosebleeds are $60, $70, which, I mean, that's a bargain for any, uh, any fan that wants to go to an actual NFL game. So while the single game tickets aren't available on the Falcons website, you still have these third party um, vendors who are uh, reselling tickets, which I mean, I, so I don't think that it's, uh, it's necessarily an issue because people still have uh, the availability for tickets. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, mean, um, I, I think I one of the things that, that I was getting at, you know, know for those of you who don't know, know, you know, we. We talked as as a group with the Bird Bros about um, we talk almost every day, if not every day, several times a day about just different things going on with the Falcons. And I think one thing that kind of bothered me maybe the most about this story was the fact that the Falcons um, have done such a great job really promoting um, what they're doing to really be more fan and consumer and customer friendly. Um, they talk a lot about the concessions. They talk a lot about the different amenities of the stadium. They talk a lot about some of the real perks of being a Falcons fan and being able to come and watch a game now uh, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But, you know, I think one thing that they missed was availability for your fans. I think, you know, with, with PSLs, you know, personal seat licenses, um, that has been what a lot of these – it's a new way to finance stadiums, you know, for, uh, for owners, for teams, for cities, and for the NFL. The, the cost has been passed back over to um, to fans. So it used to be where you would just have the city, you know, enter into a, an, an agreement with the team. Now it's the PSLs. So what has kind of been the next evolution of that is, you know, the elimination of single game tickets. And the Falcons have decided to, to do that. Um, they have come pretty close to selling out, um, you know, MBS with, with regards to PSLs, I think there's maybe about 5,000 PSL uh, seats available uh, at this point, but I think they missed the boat with still having some, and what I don't see what's wrong with having a limited amount available every game, maybe somewhere between 1,000 or 2,000 available every game um, that the average person can buy. Can you still get tickets if you go to a StubHub or if you go to one of these secondary marketplaces to purchase of course you can. There's still going to be tickets that are out there. But I think the team needs to take the role and take the lead and not allow it to just be something that's consumer-driven um, with regards to whether people can get into the stadium. Because, yeah, it's great that you can get a $2 hot dog and a $3 beer uh, and a $4 pizza, you know, uh, in addition to all these other great amenities with how wonderful the stadium is. 
But I think that the team should take more of a lead with, you know, how can we get our get and keep our core fans coming in and really embrace that? Because otherwise you do have to go either if you're going to find a scalper out on the street or you got to go to one of these other uh, secondary websites to get um, to get tickets. So I think there's a to me anyway, I think there's a disconnect there. I think they should definitely be taking the lead uh, to really make that available for fans who want to come and see the game and don't want to have to deal with somebody trying to sell a ticket last minute on some website that they're not familiar with. You know, it's interesting because I see both sides of the argument. I'm somewhere in between. Um, it's definitely the, the, uh, it's the kind of the times we're in right now. Um, and I think it's really, to some degree, it's also the perfect storm of new stadium, of course, Super Bowl appearance. You know, if this is an 8-18, eight and 18, there will be season game, you know, single game tickets available. Uh, there's just no question about that. Um, but you know what, A.B., I, I, I do agree. I, I do see your point. You know, it would be kind of noble of them to um, – and I don't know what that number is, and I get it. Um, I think what you hit on is, and I'm not – I got to be careful how I say this. There probably is a little bit of a disconnect there. Um, and I understand it in the sense of, they got to generate enough money to get this thing paid for. You got to kind of strike where the, while the iron is hot. And, you know, there's probably that segment of, 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 of the business that does think that offering cheaper concessions and those types of things are, are um, very fan friendly. And they are. Um, and But to me, that's also more indicative of anything that you go to. You know, if you take your kid, you know, they're going to have um, – Hell, I don't know what they can have. You know, Gar- a Garth Brooks concert, which I don't think any of us are going to, but you know, it's going to be. It's going, you know, it's going to be. Or so hours. you think, sir. So you think. Oh, oh that's a different. That's a different podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, whatever they have in there, it will be cool that you know for something that's not a high price event. So if they have monster truck in there, which is where I was trying to go, um, which I don't know that they will. But point being. Well, they have soccer. You know, uh, soccer is another example. They have the MLS team that plays or will play in the MBS as well, which is going to be nutty in there as well. Um, you know, so for all those things, and you know, to that point, that you know, the demographic on that crowd is probably not trying to pay the upper echelon prices on some of those menus that are going to come from the specialty restaurants. But you know, I think you you hit on something, maybe that it would be kind of cool if they said, okay. Here is, and again, I don't know the number, so somebody that's over there would probably laugh me out the building, but we're putting up 500 tickets or 600, let's just say, you know, 300 pairs, single game tickets. We're just doing it. We don't care about the money, which we know they do, but th- that would be an interesting thing, but not available. And so I get it. You know, They don't want to eat tickets, but, um, and you may see that down the line because I know sports teams don't particularly like the secondary market because of what it does to the perception of of their tickets. But you bring up a good point. So maybe somebody up in Flowery Branch or uh, over in the main offices off of Northside Parkway is listening to this, and they may steal your idea. Yeah, I, I, I do I, believe. Oh, my fault, my fault. No, you good. You good. I mean, I think like um, I mean, I think the other thing about it too is like. Um, you know, let's let's be honest about the market that we're in. You know, Atlanta is a market that has always kind of struggled with the perception of, you know, the fans and are the fans really engaged? You know, as Falcons fans, we know that, hey, we're all the way engaged. We love the Falcons. We see the Falcons have tremendous support when they're playing well. You give, uh, give a city a good team, 
that team is going to get great support. And Atlanta's no different. You see that even with uh, Atlanta United, the MLS team that is going to be sharing um, sharing MBS with the Falcons. So we know that Atlanta has great fans, but let's be honest for a second too. We know that the fans here can be a bit fickle when it comes to sometimes supporting the teams the way that they need to be supported. So, yeah, it's great that, you know, you got people who can sell their tickets off StubHub. I mean, that's fantastic. But I think the Falcons should really reevaluate it and really think, you know, what can we do to really inspire and really keep that kind of momentum where we have fans who are beating down the door and want to be here all the time, every game, but maybe aren't able to purchase an, an entire single, an entire season package. You know, maybe they don't want to deal with the hassle of let me buy a PSL, but then I got to sell half of my season tickets for the uh, for the upcoming home schedule. So I think they could still do what they want to do, and they're still going to make the lion's share of their money. Like you said, they've bought, they've sold uh, what like sixty five thousand, seventy thousand uh, PSLs already. So I mean, there's only you know a couple thousand left. So they still, I I believe, have more than enough tickets they can make available. Are they going to do it? No. The main reason, because these people have already purchased PSLs, so I doubt that they're going to do anything to piss off the people who have already purchased the PSL licenses. But I do think uh, it would, like you said, it would be noble if they did that uh, in a way to really get some of those fans who feel they've been priced out to be able to bring them back. Well, I believe that, I mean, that will happen down the line. But like you, um, like AD was saying earlier, it's a situation where, I mean, you have all this momentum. You have a, a new stadium, and you have a team coming off the Super Bowl run. So, of course, like as a businessman, of course, we're looking at it from a, um, I guess, from a fan's perspective. And this is going to sound ridiculous, but if you want to put yourself into Arthur Blank's shoes, wouldn't he be doing himself a disservice as a businessman if he didn't realize that, okay, well, I have this high demand at this point. Now, four, three, four years down the road, we all know that um, Atlanta's melting pot calls for fickle fans. So, hey, three, four years down the road, I may not have this demand anymore. Therefore, I can start implementing single game tickets. But at the the anniversary, well, not even the anniversary, the um, the year of this stadium being released. Of course, I mean, I don't. I don't, I see, I guess I see Arthur Blank's perspective. And as a fan, my only issue would be with have, being, having tickets available. Now, if there wasn't tickets available at all, or if these PSLs were being overpriced, which two to three months ago they were, because honestly, I felt like I, I looked at some lower bowl tickets three, four, three, four months ago, and they were five, $600. Now, I had an issue with that. But I just uh, uh, looked at them on StubHub again this week, and those same tickets are now being priced at two and three hundred dollars, so half the price. So as a fan, if the tickets are available, I don't care where it's coming from. If the ticket is available, then I don't have an issue. Yeah, it, you know, it, I think to your point, like you said, it, it's going to. It, I think the market will kind of shake back out. Like you said, ticket prices already dropping, but. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting just to see what happens after they get through this year. You know, now obviously we hope that it's, uh, you know, we're talking about another playoff run. Demand will be high, but um, there'll be some fatigue there. Um, and I think there's going to be fatigue from the people with the PSLs, which you're already seeing. So, I mean, of course, I think most, I think most PSL owners look at it as a flip. 
So it's like, okay, I'm, I mean, that's, and I think that's what it is. So honestly, it's, I think now we're in this environment where the PSLs are, it's the, it, it is the flip. And it's pricing out, of course, your average um, middle, uh, middle, middle income type uh, person, type fan. However, I guess, like I said, my main issue would be if I wasn't able to act, to walk into the stadium and enjoy a game. And just looking at prices, I believe that um, most fans can do that because I, I don't think the uh, stadium, I think stadiums will just continue to be priced even more. I mean, you look, the Raiders are about to build a stadium in Las Vegas. Uh, you know how much that, like, that's going to be a three, two, three billion dollar stadium. So it's going to, I mean, most teams are now having to deal with this. And with that, most fans are dealing with it. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I definitely think at this point, it's a foregone conclusion. I think if they wanted to to do it, it would have been done, you know, when they, you know, when they announced that they wanted to get it financed. Um, my thought, you know, is that, again, Arthur Blank is, he's been one of the most successful businessmen, um, you know, to start a place like Home Depot and some of the other ventures that he's involved in the success he's having with Atlanta United, the guy knows how to run a business. So far be it for me to tell him how to run his business. But I do think there is a disconnect between, Hey guys, we got $2 hot dogs, but yeah, there's no tickets available. You got to go find them somewhere else. So I don't know. I think there's something there that I think he could definitely rectify being the owner and knowing different ways to make money, but they chose to take it a different route. And hopefully, uh, hopefully it works out for, for folks who, our diehard fans do want to go catch a game um, and maybe don't have the money to, to afford what you're getting on the secondary market, which is going to be in some cases a markup. Sometimes it won't be, but uh, like AD has said, you know, with this renewed interest in the Falcons having one of their best seasons ever, you know, it's going to be kind of tough to come by here to start. So uh, we'll see what happens, but you know, hopefully it'll, it'll all work out, um, you know, at the, toward the end of the year. Yeah. Add on. I mean, this is to be quick. Um, when honestly, when I first saw the con- the low concession prices, I felt like the t- that meant the game ticket would be priced even higher. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a a great connection. You know, they they're not giving stuff away for free. That's not yeah. <laughs> the reason that they're that they're making stuff cheaper. I mean, they wanted to do it as a way to get out in front, but. I think some people thought that all of the food was going to be that price. And it's like, no, that's, that's certain, no, certain no, no. vendors. Yeah. There's still to be some very, I mean, they, they have a lot of local vendors. They've got places like Jim and Nick's, you got Chick-fil-A, uh, Antico pizza, which, I mean, they've got some great, you know, food places that will also be involved with MBS um, that are going to charge you what they would normally charge you, if not more. So every concession is not going to be $2 hot dogs. You're still going to find your, eight and nine dollar hot dogs and ten dollar <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so it's not all going to be like that but they did that to have something affordable for the every you know for the guy who spent five or six hundred dollars trying to get into the stadium so um it'll be interesting to see i don't think they're going to change their policy though but uh it'll be interesting to see kind of how it plays out you know as more people become aware of it you know into the season all right, so we're going to wrap this thing up and good talk today. Um, you know, hope you know, I know we're going to, you know, um, as we get more and more into training camp, more and more into the season, we'll have more shows and things like that. Uh, definitely want to give a, a shout out, as always, to the colleague 
Um, you know, they got a lot of good podcasts on there from the east side with love. Um, some of the bros just started up the lack of institutional control uh, podcast. Um, so I know AB is going to have an official Falcons thread on the college coming up soon. Uh, maybe kick it off with this episode here once we get it up and post it. Um, so we'll be back. Um, AB, Trent, appreciate the time tonight. Uh, appreciate the feedback. Let us know what you like about the show. If you think it's hot garbage, um, you know, whatever it is, we appreciate interacting with everybody. And um, we just like to talk about the Falcons, man. Yes. And shout out to uh, to our guy. Um, I know Rome, you know, wanted to make it for the first show, but shout out to Rome. Uh, and shout out to Rome for bringing to our attention the, the, the poster. Um, what did he say? It was from Reddit or something like that? Yeah, it was from Reddit. Yeah, yeah man. Shout, shout out to the uh, – <laughs> He said, "We're what? We're uh, we're gone. We can't say the the f word uh like we want to, but uh, we're we're effing garbage. It's something, it's something to that that effect. We appreciate you listening, man. Keep um, keep 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 in there with us, man. We appreciate all the feedback. Like AD said to start the show, good or bad, you know, we want to just be the be the best we can for Talk Falcons. So, all right, guys. Until the next one, uh, training camp starts. You know, on Thursday." Um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be back with you guys and, uh, enjoy the season.